Brother Marty Blackwelder with us. And you know, when uh, we were this was announced really shortly ago, I heard a stir among people that knew him well that were very excited. And I can already hear some of y'all know him already too. So we're excited to have him. We're honored to have him here tonight. Let's stretch forth our hands here and let's pray over the rest of the service and over our brother. Father, we pray over the rest of this service, joining our faith with our brother, Lord. We ask that you use him in a mighty way, Lord, that there come a strong anointing. There be good utterance and revelation, Lord, that that there come answers to questions and that people's lives are changed, Lord. And as we hear the word that goes forth, as you use him mightily in this service tonight, we purpose that we will not be forgetful hearers, but we will be doers of every good thing that you put forth tonight. And we thank you in advance for this good word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Appreciate it. Praise the Lord. Well, if you're happy tonight, you know it. Shout amen. Amen. You can be seated this evening. Thank you so much, the praise and worship team. I tell you, it's good to see familiar faces and friends. And we love your pastors. Uh, We've been friends with them a long time. And so we count it an honor to be with you uh, this evening here in Branson and also those that are joining online. Um, I've got some things in my heart I want to share with you tonight that I think you'll find informative, encouraging, and hopefully uh, motivating as a Christian. Uh, And uh, it's fashioned for uh, a congregation like this one because of your familiarity with certain ministries and ministers, because of your pastor's spiritual heritage. Uh, I want to share some things that would uh, have greater significance for you than it would perhaps for uh, others. So I can't always share these things everywhere I go. Now, I know uh, probably a lot of you have seen the YouTube uh, videos of the Holy Ghost meetings, and I do like to get happy. I do like to run around the room. I do like to dance when it comes home. But uh, tonight's a little bit different flow, but we're going to have a wonderful time together, and uh, Jesus will be glorified. Amen. So the Apostle Paul, writing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, he said, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, frighten one another with these words. Is that what it says? No. It says comfort one another, doesn't it? So that should be a comforting passage of Scripture for us. (laughs) And then, of course, the Apostle Paul writing again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 51, he said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption." This mortal must put on immortality. And when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then will be brought to pass the saying, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And of course, uh, from the words of Jesus himself in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house were many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
we call these scriptures the blessed hope of every Christian. If that doesn't light your fire tonight, then your wood's wet. Amen. I don't know about you, man, but ever since I was seven years old, born again as a seven-year-old Baptist boy, I used to jump up and down and say, Mom and Dad, wouldn't it be awesome if Jesus came today? And you know I still feel that way every day I wake up. Man, it's a glorious day. I stay on alert. Amen. But the point is, you know, until He comes, uh, we have a job to do as the body of Christ. And I suppose if I had to title this to this message this evening, it would be, as we wait. I told you uh, that I wouldn't be able to share what I want to share with you tonight in every congregation because it wouldn't bear the significance. But because of your familiarity with your pastor's spiritual heritage, their associations with uh, certain ministers, particularly Kenneth E. Hagin, uh, it will bear significance to you. I traveled with Kenneth E. Hagin for about 11 years, the last 11 years of his life in ministry. Uh, Pastor Keith, of course, traveled with us as well at times. Uh, how many of you are familiar with the man in ministry, Kenneth E. Hagin? Raise your hand if I could just get... So I realize most of you are. I suppose that's why I was led in this direction. <clears throat> that's one thing I got from him also. <laughs> Brother Hagin used to clear his throat all the time. But uh, anyway, I traveled with him 11 years. You know, uh, Kenneth E. Hagin, and I want to talk to you a little bit about his life and ministry uh, with purpose. Kenneth E. Hagin was born August the 20th, 1917. That was the same year that the Jews began to migrate back to the land of Israel, which was very significant as they serve as a prophetic timepiece, a, vis- a physical, tangible uh, timepiece prophetically where you, can, you and I can discern the times and seasons. So he was born August 20th, 1917, just prior, just a couple of days actually prior to his birth. His mother was having difficulty with the pregnancy. Her husband uh, would leave, Brother Hagen's father would leave for weeks, sometimes months at a time, finally left for good. You know, you don't have to come from a perfect family to be mightily used of God. Uh, Brother Hagen had somewhat of a dysfunctional family growing up. And yet uh, she was under a lot of stress. Her husband was gone. She was hungry. Her parents were initially uh, against the marriage, so she was somewhat hesitant to go and ask for help. But finally, because of her situation, uh, she decided to go down to her mom and ask for food, which was just a couple of blocks away, actually. And this is her testimony, later verified by the Lord Jesus Christ to Brother Hagen in a vision. Her testimony was she was walking down the sidewalk toward her mother's home, and she just passed her Aunt Mary's house. Uh, And she said, uh, you know, it was a beautiful sunny day. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. And she said, all of a sudden, as I passed my Aunt Mary's house, I heard what appeared to be uh, the wind blowing through the leaves of trees. And yet there were no trees. Now, you've got to understand, friends, You can read the books, but I traveled 11 years, 140 days a year, two services a day, so you get a little bit more information. You know what I'm saying? So she said, you know, I heard this breeze, and uh, it unnerved me a little bit, but I kept walking. She said, I heard the breeze again. And then I looked up in the sky, and she said, earlier there wasn't a cloud in the sky, but this at this moment there was a single white cloud suspended in the sky. And she said, all of a sudden, that cloud began to descend rapidly. And in a moment of time, Jesus came out of that cloud and stood before me uh, on the sidewalk. Now, uh, she said, he said to her, uh, fear not, the child shall be born. 
and he will bear witness concerning my second coming and have a part of the last great revival in the earth. Well, she said he disappeared. She took off running quite naturally. If Jesus stepped out of the cloud on the sidewalk, it may unnerve you a little bit. Uh, they weren't, she said, we weren't used to anything like that. I took off running, nine months pregnant, to my mother's house. When I got in there, she said, what happened? You look white as a ghost. She said, I recounted the experience. I never told a soul. I never mentioned it again. My mother never mentioned it. She said, because in our day, if you told someone that experience, they would think you were crazy. They, we just weren't used to those type of things. So she never mentioned it. Well, later in a vision, Jesus told Brother Hagen, I appeared to your mother before you were born, and so forth. So many people are familiar with Kenneth E. Hagin's uh, ministry. Now, we don't magnify men. We magnify Jesus. But we appreciate the gifts that have been deposited into men and women, and we can receive from them. So Brother Hagin was a prophet and a teacher. You say, are there prophets in the New Testament dispensation? Yes. How do we know? Because the Bible tells us so. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, when Christ ascended, he gave gifts unto men, some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. For what purpose? For the perfecting or the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So uh, as a prophet and as a teacher, uh, Brother Hagin had two significant visions that pertained to this commission. Many people are, are familiar with his commission, go teach my people faith. But he also had a second and subsequent commission that many people are not perhaps familiar with, but it's equally important. And that was to uh, bear witness concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ and have a part of the last great revival in the earth. So I want to share with you two visions. You say, are vision scriptural? Certainly. Acts chapter 2 and verse 17. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Notice, your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. So if you do have a, a dream and you don't want to be considered old, just say it was a night vision, right? <laughs> so at any rate, Brother Hagen had uh, two visions and I want to share them with you. He had multiple visions, but these two pertain particularly to our area of discussion tonight. The first one was in uh, Rockwall, Texas, September the 2nd, 1950. Brother Hagen was 33 years old. He was holding a tent meeting. He said it rained all day. Uh, and because of that, only about 40 people came out that night to the meeting. So he said, I gave a short Bible lesson, and uh, I asked the people to come down to the altar to pray. You know, amazing things can happen in small groups of people. And so never underestimate uh, the size of, of a group when they're empowered by the Spirit of God. And so he said, I never expected to happen what did happen, and I expected to be a man on the moon. He said, I never asked for it, never prayed for it, never fasted for it. I went up on the platform, I knelt by a, a folding chair, and I began to pray in the Spirit. And he said, all of a sudden I heard a voice say, come up here. Well, he said, I thought maybe some kids were outside the tent playing, so I just kept praying. And I heard the voice again, come up here. 
So we said, I opened my eyes, and when I did, there was Jesus standing where the top of the tent pole should be. And he said, in a moment of time, not literally, but because he's in the spirit now, he said, the people disappeared from his view, the tent, the pole, the chairs, everything, and he's in the presence of God. Now listen, this vision was multifaceted. A lot of things occurred, but I want to share with you the parts that are pertinent once again to our discussion. In one facet of this vision, Brother Hagin said he was suspended in what appeared to him to be space. You say, why are you sharing this with us? Because, friends, uh, when God gives prophetic voices and ministry gifts, visitations, revelations, they're not for them. They're for us. And, and even though he has gone on, it's very important that we understand the times in which we're living. So he said he suspended in what appeared to be space. There wasn't a tree, a bush, a bird, no sign of life or living thing. The only thing he could see off in the west, uh, western horizon was a, a small dot of light. And he said as he looked, it began to move closer to him. And as it came closer, it began to take form and shape. And he could see that there was a horse. And then clearly there was a rider upon the horse. And as this rider upon the horse drew near, he could see very clearly that he was holding the, the reins of the horse in his right hand. And high above his left hand, he had a scroll. As he approached Brother Hagin and came to a stop, he handed the scroll to Brother Hagin and he said, Open and read. Brother Hagin said he opened the scroll. It was about 12 to 14 inches long. It was a parchment. Uh, and he said as he began to uh, actually read, he was struck dumb. And this angel, I suppose, angel of being, put his hand on his head and said, Read in Jesus' name. Now, on the scroll were some things that were specific, uh, specific to the nation of America. Uh, and uh, perhaps you can look at that sometime in the Voice of Healing edition, 1954, uh, if you can find it online. But I want to share with you the things that are pertinent to the body of Christ as a whole. So on the top of the scroll, in bold black letters written about four or five times, were the words, The time of the end of all things is at hand. The time of the end of of all things is at hand. The time of the end of all things is at hand. And then he said, Jesus turned to me and said, this is the last great revival. Now I want you to think about this 1950. He went on to tell Brother Hagin, in the days ahead, the church will make tremendous advancements in the earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. All of the gifts of the Spirit will be in manifestation. This latter-day church will far surpass the impact of the early church and those things that were recorded in the book of Acts. Uh, then he said, of course, uh, it was written on the scroll, as it was in the days of Noah, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. As I finally spoke to Noah and said, in yet seven days... I will cause it to rain upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights and will destroy every living thing that I've created from the face of the earth. Even now, I'm speaking to this generation, Jesus told him. And he said to Brother Hagin, warn this generation as Noah did his. Tell them the time they have left is comparable. And I want you to note that word, comparable to the last seven days of Noah prior to the flood. 
Now, I'm not prophesying. I'm just saying we entered the seventh decade since that vision with a bang, didn't we? (laughs) I'd just say we're getting close. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, he went on to say, um, I'm preparing my people for my coming. Tell them judgment will come upon the earth, but I will take them out before the worst shall come. Which means we're going to be here long enough as things begin to shake, which they already are, to be a a, a place of hope for the hopeless, a light shining in the darkness, a, a, a beacon of hope and light. Amen? So he said, tell them I'll take them out before the worst shall come. Be watchful, be prayerful. And then the last thing he said to him was, uh, this is the last great revival. And then he said the last words on the scroll were, the time of the end of all things is at hand. Now, I want you to keep that in context 50 years ago, right? Then 12 years later, 1962, uh, Brother Hagen is 45 years old. He's in Houston, Texas. He's recounting this vision, which I told you was multifaceted, where he had actually been also anointed with the, the healing anointing and the healing ministry and so forth. Well, he had been hesitant to implement that healing ministry because in that day it was made fun of. You know, it wasn't uh, accepted, so to speak, so he was somewhat hesitant. So he realized he had failed to implement that ministry as he should. And so in that small group in uh, Houston, Texas, December 12th, he said he got down on his knees just to repent before the Lord, then he would do a better job with the healing ministry. And he said when, his, when he got on, on his knees there, the Spirit of God came upon him and he fell into a trance and had a, had a vision. Is that scriptural? Sure. Peter went up on the housetop in Acts chapter 10 and he fell into a trance and he had a vision. So certainly that is scriptural. So he said in this vision, 1962, he went up to what appeared to be a beautiful flower garden. It was square. It was surrounded by a white picket fence. He said the flowers on this, on this fence and in this garden were absolutely breathtaking. The aroma was beyond your description, words to describe. He said as he approached the gate, Jesus met him there, opened the gate, took him by the right hand, closed the gate with his left. And he said there was a path that went down the middle of this garden and there was an arbor In the center, it was likewise covered with with flowers. There were two white marble seats. He said Jesus sat on one. Uh, They had gone down the path and they approached the arbor. Jesus sat on one and, and motioned for him to sit on the other. So he said he'd come in from the east and he was looking toward the west over this garden. And when he looked toward the west, he saw uh, this huge water river actually flowing into the garden. He said it actually went up into the air, was about 50 feet at its widest diameter, and then it narrowed as it came into the garden. It was pouring tons of water into this garden. And so he said all of a sudden he's watching this water, and right before his eyes it transforms into people, millions of people. And he said they were dressed in every type of garments, uh, men in uh, uh, top hats and uh, uh, suits and women in evening gowns and blue-collar workers, housewives. There were people dressed from uh, other nations and so forth. And he he, uh, turned to Jesus and he said, Lord, 
What is this? 1962. And Jesus said to him, This is that which I will do now uh, in this last hour, in these last days. I'm going to begin to visit hungry hearts. Wherever hearts are open to me, he said, I'll visit what you call denominations other than full gospel because he was full gospel. He said, I'll visit other religions. I'll visit places you never thought I would visit wherever hearts are open and I will bring them into the fullness of salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you will have a part of this. Amen. Which he did. Now, if, if you weren't uh, alive in 1967, or maybe you don't know your church history and not familiar with certain things, friends, in 1962, there were no faith life churches. The Rock, Revelation Church, Living Word, The Vine. Are you kidding me? None of that existed. People don't realize that. In 1962, there were only what we call mainline denominational churches. And thank God for them because they carried the message of salvation. I was raised Southern Baptist. And then, of course, in 1967 began the charismatic renewal, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, here we go. I'm going to begin to visit hungry hearts wherever they may be. And when the winds of the Spirit began to blow in 1967, uh, exactly what Jesus told him in that 1950 vision, that the church would begin to make tremendous advancements through the power of the Holy Spirit and far exceed the impact of the early church, it began to occur. Uh, I was raised, as I said, Southern Baptist. I went to a Catholic Bible study and came out baptized with the Holy Spirit. Go figure. During that charismatic renewal. So what I'm saying to you is you're sitting in this room today and this evening as the result of one of the greatest outpourings of the Holy Spirit that has ever hit planet Earth. So when I, I thought about the fact that Jesus said this is the last great revival, I told my wife, I said, you know, we're anticipating things, but perhaps we've actually... Uh, missed some things because we tend to take our particular view uh, or, or uh, vision and and judge the entire globe by that. You know what I mean? So I did a little research. And man, I'll tell you what has happened in the church of Jesus Christ and its expansion in the earth ever since 1967, a little over 50 years, is absolutely astounding. Do you mind if I share with you a few statistics just to give you a visible picture or a mental picture of what has transpired to let you see we actually are in uh, the last great revival? So in the 1960s on the continent of Africa, and I'm talking about the entire continent, there were about 400 million people on the continent of Africa. There were only 10 million Christians out of that 400 million. Now there's 1.2 billion on the continent in a little over 50 years. And guess what? There's over 500 million Christians 
on the continent of Africa. Reinhard Bonnke that Brother Copeland helped sponsor in many of those uh, crusades that he did. Over his lifetime in 1967 as an Assembly of God preacher, he began evangelizing Africa. They had over 50 million souls in their ministry alone. Tremendous harvest. Every single day in Africa, 20,000 souls come to Christ. And this is a, a, a compilation of, of various sources, you know. So tremendous things are happening. In China in 1950s, the communist regime expelled all of the missionaries. They left behind one million evangelicals and three million Catholics. In a little over 50 years, uh, that number has grown from 1 million to over 200 million in China. And those are just the ones we can count because quite naturally uh, they're in underground meetings, home groups, and so forth. Uh, Brother Hagen had prophesied that the bamboo curtain would come down and then it would come back up, and that's what's happening now. So we need to pray for them. But every single day in China, anywhere from 10 to 25,000 Chinese convert to Christianity. The revival in China is characterized by signs, wonders, miracles, baptisms of the Holy Spirit, resurrections of the dead. Uh, we have friends that are there. Just tremendous. Amen? Uh, India has 85 million believers. Every single month in India, <clears throat> excuse me, over 100,000 Hindus convert to Christianity. Praise God. Amen? And uh, Latin America. Uh, in the 1960s, there were about 18 million evangelical Christians in the whole of Latin America, 12.6 million Pentecostals. In a little over 50 years, there's now 480 million evangelical Christians, 70% of them baptized with the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues. There's 160 million Pentecostals, 40 a percent of all the world's Pentecostals live in Latin America. <laughs> and I'm, I'm speaking of the denomination, okay, of Pentecostalism. So praise God, things are happening. Uh, Nepal, how many of you are familiar with Nepal? Prior to 1960, a little Himalayan country, there were no, actually it was illegal to be a Christian in Nepal. 1965, there were 25 registered Christians, now in a little over 50 years, and that little tiny uh, nation, uh, over a million converts. They have 75 districts in Nepal. Every district has a church. Uh, South Korea, I'm just giving, is it all right if I give you a little information? South Korea, the turn of the century, was deemed impenetrable to the gospel. Uh, but guess what? God had other plans. The 19, there were no Protestant churches. From the 1960s forward now, 33% of South Korea is Christian. They have 7,000 churches in Seoul, Korea alone, and some of them with over a million parishioners. They send more missionaries around the world than any other nation, second only to the United States of America. And now Brazil is quickly rising. So wonderful things are happening. Can you say amen? Uh, I have a, a friend of mine who's a missionary. He sent me a, a link to uh, an interview on Al Jazeera satellite television of a Saudi cleric uh, who was being interviewed by a fellow Muslim. Jesus said, I'm going to visit hungry hearts. Every denomination, every religion, places you never thought I would visit. So he gave me this link and I watched the interview. It has the captions underneath. 
And in this interview, this Saudi cleric said, there's a tragedy occurring in Islam. He said, what is the tragedy? He said, 667 an hour, 16,000 a day, almost 6 million a year of our Muslims are converting to Christianity. He said, you're mistaken. You mean 6 million from every every religion uh, to Christianity. He said, no, from Islam alone. You know, Iran is one of the top ten persecutors of Christians in the, in the world. Uh, every single month, 500 Iranians uh, give their lives to Christ at a great price, you know. And uh, 70% of their population is 30 years old and younger, which means these are young men and women giving their life to Christ. Indonesia, one of the largest Muslim countries in the world, every single year, one million converts from Islam to Christianity. Woo! Hallelujah! They have some of the largest Christian churches in the world now. Sudan, a million converts in the last 10 years. What am I saying to you, friends? We've been in revival on a global scale for the last 50 years. God is moving. The Holy Spirit is moving mightily. Christianity is the largest religion in the world. There are eight, almost 8 billion people now, right? 2.18 billion are Christian. Uh, we're the fastest growing religion in the world. Annual growth rate of 6.9% way above all the others. Uh, Jesus said, you'll far exceed the impact of the early church in the book of Acts. I mean, the largest number we see saved on uh, the day of Pentecost, 3,000 and 5,000 later, that happens every 25 minutes now. You lay your head down tonight, you open your eyes tomorrow, there's 175 new Christians on the planet. Woo! The church is alive and well. And God is moving mightily by His Spirit. And you and I have been privileged to be here as the end time generation. So people say, well, that's wonderful, Brother Marty. What do we do now? What's God's plan? And that's what I want to talk to you about. His plan is the same plan it's always been. His plan is you. His plan is is me. The sons and the daughters, the servants and the handmaidens, born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, impacting people's lives supernaturally for the kingdom of God. Isn't that what the Scripture says in Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 17, In the last days saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh. Notice, it's not the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher exclusively. Who is it? It is the sons and the daughters. Uh, Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And upon my servants and upon my handmaidens in those days, I will pour out of my Spirit and they will prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs in the earth beneath blood, fire, vapor of smoke. But I want you to notice verse 21. As a result, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Woo! This is our time. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1 says, To everything there is a season. There's a time for every purpose under heaven. One translation says, Everything has its appointed hour. And did you know God foreknew every single one of us? We've been appointed to this end time generation to usher in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've got a glorious job to do. And although we've been in revival for 50 years, we might as well have a grand finale. What do you say? When the Holy Spirit of God made His entrance into planet earth on the day of Pentecost, the world would never be the same again. His entrance marked the beginning of a new time, a new day, a new season, a new way of doing things. Just 120 people in an upper room. (laughs) Upon having an encounter with the Holy Spirit of God, made an impact on the entire city of Jerusalem. All the citizens of Jerusalem knew without any shadow of a doubt something extraordinary has happened. That day launched 120 ordinary people into extraordinary lives. It transformed a group of individuals who were timid and fearful into bold and courageous believers anointed of the Spirit. The visitation of God was so powerful on that day, 3,000 souls were saved. The visitation of God was so powerful on that 120 that the cities round about Jerusalem brought their sick, their lame, their deaf, their oppressed, laid them in the streets, and they were healed, everyone, the Bible tells us. Every church has its unique spiritual DNA. And I believe you have been planted in this city with this people for such a time as this. And God wants us to fulfill His expectations. Because we have a job to do. What we do as the body of Christ, we must do quickly. We must do powerfully. We must do accurately. And we cannot do it in the arm of the flesh. It must be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Just prior to Kenneth e. Hagin's departure, and as I said, I don't worship a man, but he had some valuable things to share with us. We were in a Holy Ghost meeting, and uh, he began to prophesy about this grand finale and uh, the days that you and I are now in. And I just want to share it with you briefly. And of course, not only uh, prophesying, but seeing into the realm of the Spirit. He said, if it could be told you, if it were possible for you to look into the future and to see that which is coming, he said, your hearts would be glad. If you could look into the future and see that which is in store, he said, it would be difficult for some of you even to believe. But it shall surely come. The power of God in manifestation shall come. And, of course, we've already seen the fulfillment of of this next phrase in part, but not like we will. He said, and where there's been a few saved here and a, a few saved there, many will be saved here. Many will be saved there. Where there's been a few filled with the Spirit here, a few filled with the Spirit there, many will be filled with the Spirit here. Many will be filled with the Spirit there. 
where there's been a few healed here and a few healed there, he said an outstanding healing here. Outstanding healing there. Many healings. And then he went on to say, as Elijah said, uh, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. First, he said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand rising out over the sea. Brother Hagin said, I see a cloud. And it is rising on the horizon of time. And I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. He said, glory to God, the rain is coming. The former and the latter rain falling upon his saints. Falling upon good ground. And when that spirit manifests himself, all those around will be blessed. Not only will you be blessed and your family be blessed. But everyone you come in contact with will be blessed. That tells us right there we're going to have something to do with it. Because we're coming in contact with people. Then he went on to say these words. And man, they're so profound. The Spirit of God said, Now sit and say, Let's see it come. And when it comes, I'll rejoice. And nothing will happen. Now, why would that be true? Because, friends, when God speaks through the written word, the prophetic word, He does so with the intention that you and I as the believer embrace that word, believe it, and begin to move toward it in faith, and we actually become the catalyst through which it comes to pass. So we said, sit and say, let's see it come and nothing will happen. Then the Holy Spirit went on to say, but arise. And leap into the water. Water symbolic of the Spirit. Leap into the water. Not just waters to wade in. What does that mean? The shallows. But waters to swim in. That means the depths. Position yourself. And the rain will fall. And the glory will fall. And the healings will be in greater manifestation. And your heart's will be glad. So notice, don't, do not sit and say, rise and leap, right? Position yourself. Uh, you know, we understand, friends, just from a natural perspective, that the purposes of the head are always contingent upon the cooperation of the body. Doesn't matter how much my head wants to walk over uh, to Pastor Dave, if my body doesn't carry me, guess what? The head's not going anywhere. Well, Colossians 1.18 says, Jesus is the head. Guess who's the body? <laughs> Therefore, he needs our cooperation. Right? Actually, he told Brother Hagin in a 1987 vision, we were pre preparing for our camp meeting, one of the statements he made, uh, so amazing, Jesus said, you know, there are things that I desire to do in the earth and through the church that I've been unable to do because of a lack of cooperation. Wow. Is it true? Absolutely. Once again, the principle holds true. He's the head where the body, the purposes of the head are contingent upon the cooperation of the body. Uh, but a further reality holds true. And this is what I want, want you to get. I can't participate and you cannot participate in things that we do not perceive. 
right? And the reality is, I can't perceive the leadings of the Spirit unless I am living and walking in the Spirit. Does that make sense? So when I talk about living or walking in the Spirit, I'm not talking about walking around in some state of euphoria, being weird or goofy. I'm talking about a place that we occupy through our communion with God, through the person of the Holy Spirit, where we see things and we know things and we perceive things that we would not see or know or perceive otherwise. Notice the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. What was his statement? He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And notice as a result, he saw things, he heard things that natural eyes would have never seen. Spiritual ears would have never heard. The Apostle Paul writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, you know these scriptures. Uh, I have not seen. What? Natural eyes. Ear hath not heard. Neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. But He has revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so the things of God knoweth no man save the spirit of God. Now we've received not the spirit which is of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things freely given to us of God. Now watch verse 14 because here's the kicker. For the natural man, that's an unregenerate man, the natural man receives not the things of the spirit. One translation says perceives not. Why? Because their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them. Now, this isn't a message of condemnation. This is a message of exhortation. But I have a question for you. If an unregenerate, unborn again man cannot perceive or receive the things of the Spirit, uh, can a carnal Christian, one who is born again perhaps, but their lives are dominated by the flesh, they walk after the flesh, they live after the flesh, uh, and their, their uh, activities in the Spirit are limited, are they going to be able to perceive the leadings and the promptings of the Spirit? Probably not as readily, right? So we have a responsibility as the children of God to live our lives in the Spirit because He's counting on us. He's counting on us. Uh, once again, we can't participate in things that we do not perceive. In Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 10, watch this in action. This is the Apostle Paul, notice. There sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak. Now watch, watch this. Who steadfastly beholding him, and what? Perceiving. What's going on here? There's a partnership with he and the Holy Ghost. He's seeing things that he wouldn't know just in the natural. Uh, Beholding him and seeing, uh, uh, one translation says, looking intently and seeing, so, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. And based on that perception, then what happened? 
he said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and he walked. Notice the perception preceded the demonstration. I think most often in this life of faith and particularly in ministering to others, that the most uh, effective faith and the most effective ministry is that which is initiated by and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is the way Jesus operated. By his own testimony, uh, John chapter 5, verse 19, notice what Jesus said. Then answered Jesus and said to them, Verily I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Really? What he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Now what does that tell us, friends? Basically, Jesus was saying, I live my life. I execute my ministry in direct response to the Father's leading through the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? He was very successful. He had tremendous impact on people's lives. So, in 1950, the vision I shared with you, I omitted this first event because I wanted to come back to it. The very first thing that happened when he said, come up here, remember? And he opened his eyes and Jesus was standing at the top of the tent pole. He said, Jesus had the most beautiful crown I've ever seen in my life. He said, words cannot describe it. The jewels in that crown were beyond human description. And he said, I I turned to the Lord and I said, Lord, what is this crown? And Jesus said to him, this is the soul winner's crown. But now listen, he went on to say, but I say to my people, go here. Minister to this one. Speak to that one. And he said, they're so busy. Preoccupied. Insensitive. That they miss what we would call our divine cues. And he said, as a result, souls are lost. And people go unministered to. What I want you to take home with you is the days of simply sitting in a pew or in a chair and listening to the message, they're they're over. This is our time as the body of Christ. Thank God we're fed. We come into the church. We're fed the Word of God. We're uh, uh, empowered. We're strengthened. But when we go out those doors, you're on assignment. And God wants to use every single person sitting in this room if you're a member of the body of Christ. Absolutely. I had a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door. I went out on the stoop to speak with them. Uh, I had the trainer and the trainee. You know how it goes. Some of you may have come from the background. So the little trainee, he's new. He can't find his scriptures. I'm trying to help him. You know. Hey, he's out trying to do something. I'm just being kind, cordial. But you know, after a little while, I noticed he's grimacing in pain. He, he holds the side of his jaw. And so finally, I just said, what's the, what's the matter with you? And he said, man, I'm so sorry. But he said, I, I'm in so much pain right now. He said, I don't know if I've got an abscess tooth or what. 
Well, when he said that, I got a cue. See, I'm not, I'm not moving on my own accord necessarily, even though we could pray the prayer of faith for anyone. But I had a cue. And I had a sense. Notice I did not say a voice or a vision. I said a perception, a sense. And you become more keen to those as time goes by. Walking in the Spirit. And I said, hey, could I make a deal with you right there on the front porch? She said, well, I guess so. I said, now, I've listened to you with kindness and courtesy, but I'm a born-again Christian. I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through Him. There's no other name given among men whereby men must be saved. And I said, uh, if you will allow me to share with you briefly what you and I would term the four spiritual laws, but what I believe the path uh, to salvation includes. I said, uh, that same Jesus will heal you instantly. Deal? He said, deal. Now the, tra- the trainer wasn't so excited. He's trying to get in. Come on. I said, now hold on. So I just shared with him very briefly the Roman road as we call it. You're familiar with that. Believing in the heart. God's love of the world. Believing in the heart. Confessing with the mouth. So forth and so forth. I said, now let me pray for you. So I'm right there on the front porch. And I just put my hand. I'm not on the, hey, it's not on me. It's on him. I took my cue. I'm not sweating it. Right? So I put my hand on his, sorry, my hand's cold. I got a warm heart. And and man, you know, I didn't go, woo! I mean, there's a time and place for that. I like to do that in church. I bet I could run these chairs. I've run something like this before. Didn't even fall down. Ran the back of them. Glory to God. We might do that next time. But that's not the time and place. Don't want to scare the, <laughs> scare the daylights out of them. It's like your pastor says. Sometimes all that commotion's like cotton candy. When it gets wet, there's not much to it. You know, you, <laughs> you probably heard him say that. But I just very gently said, in the name of Jesus, because that's where the power is. In the name of Jesus. And I, of course, I had... I said, the name above every name. The name whereby men must be saved. I wanted to get it all in. You know, in the name of Jesus, be healed. I took my hands off. He's on the front porch. God is my eternal witness. His eyes got big as saucers. He's feeling around. He said, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. And guess what happened? The trainer grabbed him and ran off. I'm chasing him down the drive. Hold on a minute. We got to close the deal. How many of you know Jesus made an impact? Now, how many of you know Jesus will heal sinners? It's the dinner bell. I had a drunk guy come up one night, and man, I was out somewhere, and he was there just stumbling around. And I just, I just felt led to go over. I said, sir, don't, do you know God loves you? And he said, I know it. And I said, Jesus doesn't want you to live like this. He said, I know it. He'd obviously been, had uh, contact or some familiarity with Christianity because he was aware of God, aware of Jesus. May have just been backslidden. It happens to people. This world is cruel, man. There's, you know, a lot of chains get on folks. We don't ever look down on people, ever. I never count any person as insignificant. I don't care who they are, what they look like. Because every person, T.L. Osborne said, has the, has the potential to become a beautiful person in Christ. 
So I went over to him and I, and I talked to him. I said, listen now, God loves you. He doesn't want you to live this way. And I said, uh, I said, take my hand. So I just took his hand. Now, I never expected to happen. I was just going to pray with him. <laughs> when I took his hand, God's my witness. The anointing went in him and instantly evaporated all the alcohol out of his blood. He was drunk as a skunk. And you know what he did? He cussed. He said a D word. He said, D, I'm sober. I said, I know you're sober because God wants you to listen to what I've got to say to you. And man, we prayed a prayer. I gave him a big old hug, gave him some money and told him, don't go buy the booze, go get yourself some food. You know what I'm saying? God loves people. And guess what? It wasn't in the church house. It was on the street. Right? You got time for another story? How many of you give me five more minutes? Anybody? Five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. All right. Praise the Lord. All right. I'm trying to be respectful of your time. But, man, you guys listen so well. So my sister, you know, look, she's not a, a Bible school graduate. She doesn't have an arsenal of Bible verses at her disposal. She's a handmaiden of the Lord. Born again, filled with the Spirit, running a business, raising a kid, living life. But when she's vacuuming, I worship you, Jesus. Oh, seek de morta le diesel de endor de batrasta. Washing dishes. What's she doing? Maintaining her position. <laughs> and she has the most amazing experiences as a handmaiden on assignment. She told me, man, she was going down to the bank, did not put any makeup on, was not intended, uh, intending on going in the bank, going in anywhere, going through the drive-thru. So she's going down the road. She always goes. And uh, she said, on the left, there's an antique store. Pass it all the time. But I drove by it. And she said, as I did, Bubba, she calls me Bubba, I sensed, not a voice, not a vision, a sense. The leadings of the Spirit are most often a sense, not a sentence, you know. And so she said, I, I sensed that I should go into that antique store, but I didn't have any makeup on, so I kept driving. And she said, the, the farther I went, you know, southern girls, they like their makeup, you know. So she said, the farther I went, man, I, I, she said, I just got so grieved. She said, I know the spirit. I turned the car around, went into the parking lot, went into the antique store. And she said, I didn't have any idea why I was there, so I'm looking at antiques. You know, you take one step, and then you go from there. That's what being led by the spirit is. And so she said, in a moment, I saw a woman and a gentleman speaking over uh, in the distance. And she said, when I saw that woman, I knew that's my divine target. So she said, I went over and she said, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt you with the gentleman. Uh, but she, my sister's very bold when she knows it's God. She said, but I'm here on assignment from Almighty God. Looked her right in the eyes. Well, when she said that, that lady began to weep. Right there, I mean profusely, just and she started telling her story. Do you know there's people like this everywhere? And she told my sister, she said, I've been backslidden. Uh, I wasn't raised in church by my family. I was taken to Sunday school by a neighbor, and I remember singing, Jesus loves me. And I can remember asking him in my heart, but I, I've had a rough life. I've backslidden. I don't have a pastor. I don't have a church. She said, the worst thing probably at the moment is I've been diagnosed with cancer seven places in my body. And she said, I've been crying out to God that He would forgive me and that He would heal me. And she said, to think 
he would come and visit me here in an antique store. And you know he will? If you and I'll go, we'll take our cues. The purposes of the head are dependent upon the cooperation of the body. They're everywhere. They're at the gas station, the grocery store, the workplace. We don't make fools of ourselves and of the gospel, but at the same time, you follow the unction. You can do three things powerfully, normally, and naturally, right? So my sister said, well, honey, that's why he sent me. So my sister, as I said, she's not a Bible uh, school graduate, doesn't have an arsenal of Scripture. She knows enough to say, hey, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. He loves you. He's ready for you to come back into fellowship. And she shared a few scriptures, and then she said, you know, the Bible says lay hands on the sick, and they'll recover. Now, she's there on assignment. Are you listening? Not on her own. She's got the Holy Ghost backing her up. He sent her there. <laughs> Not that you're alone when you're just implementing the word, but you know my, my mode of discussion this evening. And so my sister said, can I pray for you? And she said, oh, yes, please. So right there in the antique store, quietly, my sister said she put her hands on her. She heard herself say, in the name of Jesus, I command the spirit of fear and death to come out of you. Now, you know, sometimes there are spirits of infirmities that are enforcing diseases. Not always, but sometimes. And that was the way the Lord had her pray. And so she gave her a big hug. She's crying. Very simple, you know. And she's leaving. So my sister said as she was leaving, the lady said, could I take your picture with my cell phone? And get your number? She said, well, certainly. You know the story. I'm just telling you what happened. A couple of months, maybe later, my sister got a call from that lady. And she said, Miss Blackwater, do you remember me? I was in the antique. Oh, yes, yes, I remember. She said, I had to tell you something. I got to feeling so much better. I went back to the doctors. Uh, I said, would you please run tests? They said, there's no need, honey. There's nothing much we can do for you. Please run the tests. They ran the test. They came back and they said, well, we can't explain it, but there's no cancer in your body <laughs> anywhere. That's the love of God. Manifested through the sons and the daughters, the servants and the handmaidens. So the point is this. And thank you for your patience. If we're going to perceive the leadings of the Spirit, then quite naturally we have to walk and live in the Spirit. And if we're going to walk and live in the Spirit, then quite naturally we have to stay filled with the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, Paul said, Do not be drunk with wine where is in excess, but what? Be filled with the Spirit. That's a verb of continuance. Be ye being filled. You know, he uses that uh, analogy on purpose. We're not an advocate of drunkenness in the natural, but <clears throat> it's a good example. Because how does a person become drunk in the natural? They do what? They drink until their blood is saturated with the substance of alcohol. And if they want to stay drunk, then they what? They keep drinking. Paul said, same, same principle, different substance. <laughs> right? He said, now, you need to drink continually of the Spirit. So why? So you can stay filled with the Spirit. So that means I need to incorporate into my daily life certain spiritual exercises that nurture a life in the Spirit. And one exercise 
Notice I didn't say the only one, but one such exercise that is great, uh, greatly beneficial in staying filled with the Spirit is praying earnestly and consistently in the Spirit. Are you listening? You know, sometimes we can become so familiar with certain aspects of our Christian life and experience that we cease to value those things as we should. And one of those is praying in the Spirit. What is prayer in the Spirit? We let the Bible interpret the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2, If I speak in an unknown tongue, I speak not unto men but unto God. Notice how be it in the Spirit. He speaks mysteries, right? So Paul equates praying in other tongues with praying in the Spirit. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 14 and 15. Uh, Paul said, if I pray uh, in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? What's the conclusion? I'll pray with the Spirit. I'll pray with the understanding also. I'll sing with the Spirit. I'll sing with the understanding also. So Paul said you're going to be most benefited in life in perceiving the things of God and the things of the Spirit if you will pray in both dimensions, if you will pray in the natural and the supernatural, if you'll pray with the intellect and also with the Spirit. Is it beneficial? I suppose so. Uh, The Apostle Paul was a strong advocate of praying in the Spirit. How do we know? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18 and 19. And I'm closing, I'm hurrying. But listen, he said, I thank my God. I speak in tongues more than all of you. (laughs) That's a lot. Yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. So Paul is celebrating the blessing and the benefit of praying in the Spirit and yet simultaneously clarifying its place and use. So Paul said, hey guys, I speak in tongues more than all of you, but it's not in the church. Then where was it? Where was it? In his personal, private, devotional life, Paul prayed excessively in the Spirit. Was it beneficial? Obviously, he wrote half the New Testament by revelation. If you include the book of Hebrews, signs, wonders, miracles accompanied his ministry. Hallelujah! Howard Carter, who was the founder of the first Pentecostal Bible College in Great Britain, he said, speaking in tongues is not just to be the initial evidence of being filled with the Spirit, as we see in the book of Acts chapter 2 there, the day of Pentecost. But it is to be an ongoing uh, or a continual source of infilling throughout one's life. A flowing stream that never runs dry. How many of you have heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Man, you guys are well taught around here. Smith Wigglesworth, tremendous man of God, uh, resurrections of the dead and so forth, uh, miracles. He made this statement concerning praying in the Spirit. He said, you know, it is a luxury to be filled with the Spirit. And yet it is a divine command. Not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. 
He said, no Pentecostal person uh, should get out of bed in the morning without first getting lost in the Spirit, speaking to themselves in other tongues. He said, I maintain the opinion, if one would be continually filled with the Spirit, he will speak in the Spirit morning, noon, and night. Amen. Now let me give you one more quote. John G. Lake. Tremendous apostle to the continent of Africa. Mr. Lake made this statement. He said, I'd I'd like to speak to you uh, with the utmost frankness concerning this particular language of tongues, which I speak mostly in the nighttime, he said, for I found it to be not only the source of power that I operate in on a daily basis, but he said also an invaluable source of of revelation knowledge that I preach to people every day. He said, this language has obviously become to me a source of revelation, a source of power. Well, if his assertion is true, then you and I should be able to substantiate that from the Scripture. And we can. Notice 1 Corinthians, a very simple verse. 1 Corinthians 14. Notice verse 4. He who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. The Beck translation says, he who speaks in an unknown tongue encourages himself. The Knox translation says, he who speaks in an unknown tongue uh, strengthens his own faith. This is my favorite, the Webster. He who speaks in an unknown tongue receives an uplifting and strengthening influence. What is that influence? The Holy Spirit. Amen. So Jude, verse 20, what does it say? Beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Now I like this uh, translation. I think it's the Webster, but it says, fortify yourself. Fortify yourself. Strengthen yourself. Now watch this word. Sustain yourself. Praying in the power of the Holy Ghost. What's that sound like? Sustain. Maintain your position. Friends, there's something about praying in other tongues that elevates your spiritual consciousness. You see, you perceive You know things. Brother Hagin used to tell us there's two ways to get in the Spirit. One, the Holy Spirit just puts you there instantly. He said, secondly, you pray long enough in the Spirit until you pray into a place where you see things and you know things and you perceive things that you would not know or see or perceive otherwise. Hallelujah. You've got a beautiful heritage here. Your pastors have a beautiful spiritual heritage. They've passed it on to you. We share in that. You're a people of faith. You're a people of the Holy Ghost. And now in this time, God needs people who are full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost to impact people's lives, taking our cues supernaturally, being led by the Spirit, and impacting lives for the kingdom of God. Are you with me tonight? And when you leave this place, 
I don't want you to say, amen, that was a good message. I hope you would think that. But even if it weren't, I want you to leave here saying, I know now you want to use me. In my place of work, in in the marketplace, in the places I go. And I want to commit to you, Father, I'll be listening. I'm going to up my game spiritually. I'm going to pray more in the Spirit so I can stay filled with the Spirit and walk and live in the Spirit and perceive the leadings of the Spirit. Why? Because it's all about people. Are you with me? It's all about people. I want everybody to stand tonight, if you will. And listen, don't unhook yet, please. I want to spend just a moment I'm going to ask God to fill every one of us with a fresh anointing in this house. I'm going to ask Him to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to discern. I want you to start uh, my track, and if you have to adjust my voice over it, fine. But I want you to fill the auditorium with that track, please. Just fill it for a moment. I recorded this, just sat down and played under the anointing just to facilitate the presence of God. I want you to lift your hands in this house tonight. If you're here and uh, you've never been born again, you can settle that at this moment. All you have to do is believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God the Savior of the world, that He was crucified, buried, rose again, shed His blood for the forgiveness of your sins, and simply say, Jesus, I confess You as Lord. You can do that right where you're seated. If you're here this evening, though, specifically, and you know you're a born-again Christian, but you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you would like to, I'd be happy to pray for you. I know we have to social distance, but uh, we can do it. If you've never received the baptism and you would like to be filled with the Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, I want you to just come down to the front, space yourselves out. I'm going to pray for you. If you'd like to receive that experience, come tonight. Nobody's looking at you. We're all happy for you. Just come stand right there facing me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I want you to stretch out your hands if you're in the auditorium. Because we're all going to be receiving a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Are you coming? All right, right here, dear. Okay. Anyone else? All right. Stretch your hands out. Now, ladies, uh, if you'll look at me just for a moment. Are you a born-again Christian? Jesus is your Lord? Wonderful. You're a perfect candidate. You qualify. Amen? Because you're born again and under the blood of Jesus. So this is what's going to happen. You already have the Holy Spirit only inside of you. We're going to ask Jesus to baptize you, which means to immerse in water. When you're immersed, you're saturated within and without. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the coming upon of the Holy Spirit and 
we could say subsequently the filling up and overflowing. So when we pray for you, we'll lay hands upon you. Out of your belly will flow, as the scripture says, rivers of living water. It will come in the form of a language. Uh, just like you speak a language with your mind, this is a language that comes out of your heart, spirit to spirit. So when I lay hands upon you, whatever sounds or syllables come up out of your belly, out of your spirit, you just speak them out. Now, I do want you to please remember this. On the day of Pentecost, the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. So the point is, you do the speaking, He gives the words. So you can't speak in English with your mouth closed, right? So you have to, by faith, step out, and whatever sounds or syllables come up out of your spirit, then you just speak them out, and your tongue and your spirit will get hooked up together. Okay? So you speak, He gives the words. All right? Praise God. Stretch your hands out. Lord, I ask you right now in the name of Jesus. And I, ladies, I just want you to repeat this. Would you say, Lord Jesus, I ask you right now to baptize me with your Holy Spirit. And I will speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives me others. Now take a deep breath.